Coming up on Golf Today, World Golf Hall of Fame member and opinion maker Curtis Strange stops by for a past champ chat on his 89 QBE shootout win with Mark O'Meara. And we'll get his thoughts on the fractured landscape of professional golf. And after a player of the year season in 2022 with four wins, what will Scotty do in 2023? We'll play over under on Scotty's wins next year. And how about a way too early Ryder Cup prediction? Who will play and most importantly, who will win? We don't play scared on Golf Today. Golf Today. Golf today on a Tuesday, Damon Hack alongside Ryan Lavender, senior writer with Golf Channel December. Typically kind of a quiet, sleepy month. Not this December, Mr. Lavender. I keep waiting for a little bit of a slowdown period, a chance to catch our breath. But no, you had Tiger and the Hero. This week, we've got the QBE, the yeah. format change coming in 2023. Next week, Tiger, Charlie, and the gang at the PNC Championship. And then, before you know, it's Cap Lou all yes, over again. Yes, absolutely. Lots to talk Love about it. this week. In fact, this week marks the QBE shootout at Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida. 54-hole team event gets underway Friday. And news on Monday surrounding the 2023 event. Next year, the tournament will become a mixed team event. This marks the first time this type of format will return to the schedule since the 1999 JCPenney Classic. Now, players were told of the change last week. In the Bahamas, some notable teams to see at the QBE shootout. Steve Stricker, past champ, star on PJ Tour Champions with Cameron Young. And you got two women this year. Fantastic Nelly Corda, Denny McCarthy, and you got Lexi with Mav McNeely, Stanford alum. Your thoughts on, on this development, this, this new format that we'll see next year? Yeah, I still don't know if it's going to satisfy the crowd that wants to see the elite women at an event like a President's Cup, right? There's talk about blowing that up and doing something different. But to me, it does seem like a sensible solution mm. at a time of year that makes a lot of sense for like a one-off type event. Obviously, the success of this format change is going to hinge on top male player mm. participation. This week, we have nine of the top 50 Moving forward, you'd love to see nine in the top 25. But I also think, Damon, it's easy to sit in this chair and say, oh, you'd love to see all the superstars on the men's side teed up with the superstars on the women's side. But it, it's just not that easy. You have the January through August schedule. Then you throw in the Ryder Cup, some other events that you might play in Europe. You have Dubai, maybe some fall events in the PJ Tour, the Hero, the PNC. All of a sudden, your schedule's a little bit crowded. I was thinking about it. There, there probably is some way for the tour to have some sort of inducements for these players. Maybe mm. it's one of the requirements for players to get PIP money, something along those lines. I'd love to see top participation, Spieth, Scotty, Rom, Rory, all the, the like. It's just a little bit harder yeah. than I think it is just maybe just sitting here saying that these guys need to play. I think it's important, though, especially with the momentum that the LPGA Tour has in creating some stars and this year has seen such an increase in the purses and the money for example and we've seen you know great groups in the past we've seen John Daly with Dame Laura Davies Tiger Woods with Kelly Keeney in 1996 Tiger huge star Kelly Keeney with one of the U.S. girls junior back-to-back -back U.S. women's amateurs coming from a fantastic family in golf brother Tripp had lost to Tiger in the U.S. amateur and then it was Hank Keeney, who hits the ball a mile. I mean, Kelly Keeney was, was the goods. And 
This was a star-making vehicle, I think, and it could be again. But why did the event die off? The event died off yeah. because the top male players didn't want to do yeah. it any longer. That's why there has to be some sort of incentive for these guys to tee up more than just the good of the game, mm. which you would hope that they would do. Right. So anyway, you know, a little nudge in the right direction doesn't hurt either. Let's nudge them right now. How about some potential dream teams? Got us to thinking about putting some players, some teams together. Ryan, I want to start with you. You know, some, some dream teams you'd like to see in this new format. I tried to go realistically. I tried to go practically with some of these dream teams. Number one has to be Roy McIlroy and Nelly Corda. These are two alphas, arguably the most explosive players on their respective tours. That's just one you just, you, you throw those two out there and say, give us your best stuff, try and beat us. Lydia Ko and Jordan Spieth, would this be like the golden children, the, <laughs> the golden siblings? Prodigies, like, right? Exactly, yeah. the prodigies suffered through hard times back on the other side as well-adjusted adults. And how about Minji Lee and Will Zeltorz? This was a deep pull. These are the two best iron players on their respective tours. Yeah. This would be an absolute laser show. Uh, Will Haskett, who's joining the show later. Minji Lee, plus two strokes gained approach, according to Will Haskett. That's like Tiger-esque level. Wow. I'd love to see those two go together. 18 greens regulation. Yeah. You can count on that. All right, we've got some players that similar players, but in different teams. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing this. I've got Tom Kim and Lydia Ko together. You know, call them team gratitude, team all class, team good vibes only, team all smiles. <laughs> then I got JT and Nelly Corda. I've got team alpha dog, team all business, team get out of my way. Then I've got Rory and Ann Van Dam. Team put that swing on a poster, team long drive, team perfect positions at the top. Yeah, aesthetically pleasing <laughs> team most certainly uh, with that. I'd love to see like a, one of my like honorable mentions was John Rahm yeah. and Daniel Kang. Ooh. Fiery, combustible, could work. Yes. Might not work, but it would certainly be entertaining. Well, that's our social question of the day. We want to hear from you. Next year, the QBE shootout will become a mixed team event featuring one PGA Tour and one LPGA player. With the news, we want to know who is your dream team and your answer could be featured on this very show. Now, speaking of the QBE shootout, let's flash back to the inaugural event, 1989. It was Curtis Strange and Mark O'Meara, a couple of World Golf Hall of Fame members, hoisted the trophy at Sherwood Country Club thanks to rounds of 66, 62, 62. Time now, folks, for a past champ chat as we welcome in the two-time major champ World Golf Hall of Fame member Curtis Strange. Great to spend some time with you. When you think back to 89, your height of power, Mark O'Meara coming into his own as a player, what memories do you have? Uh, how good Mark O'Meara putted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was that whole time frame, guys, was, uh, was you know, kind of a, a rat race, was uh, busy. Uh, you didn't, you know, when you're in the middle of that, you never stop and, and smell the roses, so to speak. You, you go from one week to the next, but it was, looking back, it was great fun. You don't realize what you were in the midst of doing, of, of playing good golf uh, consistently. And uh, even when you won something like with Mark, uh, you just kind of went to the next week. You kind of expected it, and uh, that's the last thing you can ever do in golf. But it was just a great run for for me personally, and for Mark was starting out, and and um, it, uh, it it was fun. The tournament's fun because there's so many different formats. It was different than what we do on a on a day to day basis. Curtis, with this becoming a mixed team event, you played in the old 
JCPenney. Why do you think it's important for the, the top male players to show up and support this event as folks in your generation did? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's a wonderful uh, event. Um, I think it's the format is different and people want different. My gosh, you know, uh, I, I'd love to see the senior tour have a four club tournament official, just something different to, to show the people how you can really play this game. But to get to back to your question, I, I loved the mixed team back in uh, St. Petersburg back in the day for the main reason I had Nancy Lopez as a partner. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good to start with. But, uh, you know, we had some top players play. All the top women played. Uh, the purse was the purse was strong. And don't forget, that's part of it. And when you divide it in half, then the purse becomes 50% of what these guys would want to play for. That's That's a little bit of an issue. The other issue is that they play a lot during the year, and with this new format, I don't know how that's going to transpire and, and affect the players at the end of the year. Um, I, to, to Ryan's comment, I, I think the PIP is, is crazy enough. I don't think we need to add anything else. <laughs> I don't think we need to give these players anything else. They, st they make enough already. But uh, I think the key is here, and much like you guys have already talked about, back in the old days of J.C. Penney, they wanted more star power tv wanted more star power and it became kind of a so-so tournament after five six or seven years and it just kind of died uh, a slow death but uh hopefully this time is different and uh because the fans the fans absolutely loved it curtis it just seems like your generation of top players supported the women i feel like nancy was front and center with you guys commercially as well as inside the ropes. Do you think the modern male player supports the modern LPGA player as well as you guys did? Damon, I've always been a huge, huge fan of the LPGA. They play so well. And you only get to know that when you go play with them for a week. Let's not forget, back in the 80s, uh, well, late 70s, when Nancy and I started playing, there was no off-season events. You play, there she is. Well, she was strong as a bull, and she could hit bullets. And when we, when she drove it well, and I ironed it well, and she was a great putter, we did well. So uh, she was fantastic, and she still is to this day. But there was, we played the tour, and when it ended in October, there was nothing else to play in, in the rest of October, November, and December. So going to the mixed team sometime early December was a great chance for all of us to get the rust off and to practice for a week because we started up January 1st. So we all look forward to that. There was no skins game. Skins game were starting shortly after that. But there was just a few overseas events. And after that, you just – sitting at home was not something that all of these type A personalities wanted to do very much. Curtis, the former host of this event has been in the news quite a bit this year. You were one of Greg Norman's contemporaries, one of his peers. What sort of emotions bubble up – inside you when you see the divide that he's helped create this year? Well, I think, first of all, disruption is part of life. Um, you can't avoid it. Um, I never thought we'd see anything like this in our game. Um, we've had great leadership. We have great people playing the game, great people around the world. and But we've always had a couple of disruptors um, and people that didn't like the system. Well, the system has been pretty damn good for 100 years or however, it, it, from the very beginning, the Hogan Sneeds, uh, Nelson's on up. And, 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 and I think it's so disrespectful 
to, to do and try to hurt the PGA Tour and disrespect those who came before us, who gave us a chance to be on this stage and make a name for ourselves. If, if it wasn't for the PGA Tour, Greg Norman wouldn't be Greg Norman, okay? Number one, we gave him a stage to, to use his talents and to showcase his talents. Um, but Greg Norman is a guy really with, I hate to say it like this, is kind of a guy without a tour. Uh, he has no deep allegiance and respect for any tour. And he's showing that in true colors here in the last year or so. And, you know, he, you know, he, he lives in the States. He, he played Australia. He, you know, the only time he ever went back to Australia when he got huge appearance money. So to say he supported his home tour is a crock too. And I, you know, Greg and I were friends and, and we got along and, you know, we don't, uh, something happened with that relationship. I'll, I'll never know. But, uh, you know, I read, I just read, I read every week another derogatory comment about quality people, Roy McElroy or, you know, somebody else that Greg has thrown under the bus. And I just, I just, I hate it for the game. I hate it for our tour. I hate it for Jay Monahan and all the leadership of the tour. And I really hate it for the pit players who are in the mix now. I, I certainly hope this doesn't distract from Rory McIlroy's ability and, and, and potential to be one of the best of all time, which he already is. But I want him to reach his full potential and not be, not be busied with all of this, with this noise on the, from the outside. So, uh, uh, and Greg is causing that, and, this, and the Saudi tour is causing that. And, and I hate it for everyone, but that's, it seems like the way of the world, doesn't it? It does, Curtis, and I've been fascinated to hear Rory and Tiger say that there is a path forward potentially between these rival factions if Greg Norman steps aside and the lawsuits are stayed. Do you see any potential compromise or work together between the PGA Tour and Liv? Is that even a good thing if Greg Norman steps aside? You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not involved in it other than what I read and talk to a few older players uh, quite a bit, by the way, uh, you guys are probably more attuned to it than I am. Uh, I really don't know what's going on um, behind the scenes, but I do know when, when there's lawsuits involved and, and, and negative comments back and forth in the press daily, I just don't see much of a compromise at all. I, I really don't. Curtis, what's been your take on the PGA Tour's response to live golf? Have they done enough to stem the tide of all the defections? Could, should they do more? What's your take on it? We've already heard me say a little bit about the PIP. Uh, I think, you know, the beauty of the PGA Tour has been you're, you're paid on your performance. And that's that's brings out the true competitiveness, the integrity the honesty and, and the gamesmanship of these these players. If they don't work at it and dig it out of the dirt and work at it hard every day, they're not gonna they're not gonna make as much money as they possibly could. Now I get it that everybody has contracts, but that's part of playing well. If you play well, you're rewarded by outside contracts. So uh, the PIP I don't like at all. Uh, paying people for just being a social media and I and I really as much as I respect and and love Tiger. I think it's it's kind of bogus that he's won the last two years. It's only hit so many golf shots. So that's that's my own opinion. You know, send letters to one eight hundred Golf Channel, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to get enough of them, but uh, and 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 so you know, 
the what the tour has done, I think that what the tour has done is fantastic. I think that the eight or ten or twelve tournaments that are going to be, everybody's going to play together, and that's what I, I liked about the World Golf Championships, uh, that it brought everybody together in the fall of the year. Uh, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. They ran their course, but what I don't, what I what 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 smells bad to me, is that this all came right on the heels of this disruptiveness of Phil Mickelson and Greg Norman and Saudi Tour. So when Phil kind of behind the scenes under his breath a month or so ago, or maybe two months, said that, well, maybe maybe I was right. Well, maybe he was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when you look at it, it, it didn't it didn't it didn't look right for me. But whatever the case is, now we have a tour that's going to be very strong in the future. We're going to have players playing against the best players in the world a lot, along with the major championships, and that's all a good thing. Curtis, as a competitor, how important is that with this new look PGA Tour that you are playing against the best in the world? I mean, you beat everybody. You, you beat Nicholas. You know, Trevino was a runner-up. Norman, O'Meara, Faldo, Kite, Woozy, McCumber, Pete, Haas, Price. You beat everybody, Curtis. How important is that? Personally, it's important. Is it important? No. Does it make you feel like you beat the best? Yes, yes, it does. It's it's a sense of accomplishment. Does it when you get the trophy? Does it mean anything? Really not. But if you beat whoever it is at the time, if you beat them in a head to head, it's on the plane ride. It feels good. On the plane ride home, it really feels good. You know that Bud Light really went down smoothly, and then. And then the third or fourth one went down even better. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's what it is. And because you do want to play against the best, it's, it gets your blood really going. I mean, I played in the last round in Canada one year with, with Jack and Greg. Now, come on. Jack was on his way out, but still, he was in the last group, still pretty damn competitive. And Greg was Greg. And I happened to come out on top, and it, it just – it really down deep makes you say, you know, damn it, you know, this this was fun today. This is what all of that hard work paid off today. Curtis, we're at the end of arguably the most acrimonious year in professional golf history. What gives you the most hope that in 2023 we can kind of reestablish the equilibrium in, in the professional game? Well, I think the game is bigger than any of this. Uh, it has proven to be that. Uh, as long as we we stay to our true self of who we are, it, it's about the players, their honesty, their integrity. Uh, it's about the guys like Roy McIlroy and young guys like Cam Young or Zalatoris or or Scotty Scheffler. Are there are there better people in this world than those guys? I mean, they're they're wonderful human beings and they're great competitors, and it's it's it it falls in their lap now. Uh, and I think they'll do well. Uh, we have great leadership. Uh, we have great sponsors, which we couldn't do any of this without them. We have great TV rights. And that shows, that brings the game to the world or to America, which in turn sells the tour. So everybody's in it for business, but everybody's doing well. Everybody supports the tour. Uh, everybody loves what we're trying to do. Golf is a great avenue. We're very, very lucky. Golf is one of the best avenues for corporate America to be involved with. It sells product. It moves the needle. 
And as long as that works, then we'll be successful. Curtis, we could chat with you all afternoon, but it looks like you've got to go fishing. Uh, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it, buddy. Hope to see you soon. Hey, anytime, guys. Thanks. Enjoyed it very much. There he is, World Golf Hall of Fame member Curtis Strange. On the other side of the break, we're taking a closer look at the world number two, Scotty Scheffler. He's looking to replicate his strong year in 2023. But can he find lightning in a bottle two years in a row? Play a little buy or sell next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on Golf Today, Scotty Scheffler highlights from the Hero. A good Sunday. This was the sixth hole. Par five is third, Ryan. Trying to get back to that world number one spot that he lost about a month and a half ago to Roy McIlroy. That's a pretty good way to get on your way. Yeah, tied him for the lead with Hovland at the time. How about the 14th hole? Short game, just won't quit. All the shots. He does. Long game's pure. Obviously, great hands on around the greens as well. Just came up a little bit short to Victor Hovland, finished runner-up at the Hero. In fact, for the second straight year to Hovland, would have returned to number one with the win. And our field producer, Andrew Bradley, spoke with Scotty after the round. A year ago when you finished second here, could you have imagined what would have transpired in the last 365 days? Yeah, not really. I don't really look too far ahead. And that's, uh, it's, I'd always hoped of, of winning the Masters and winning various golf tournaments. And it was definitely nice to to do that this year, but uh, still going to put in the same work this offseason and hopefully replicate a little bit of that next year. It was a player of the year campaign for Scotty Scheffler. 23 starts, four wins, four runner-ups, 12 top tens. More than half his starts, he finished inside the top ten. Only three missed cuts worldwide for Scotty in 2022. So it leads us to our buy or sell question of the day. I mean, can he replicate? What he did this year, next year, I mean, buy we, it? We've had like 48 hours to perseverate on this question. We have. I, don't, I don't even think you're you're quite sold on this. I am going to buy Scotty Scheffler going over, I think, three wins. Okay, okay. Is a distinct possibility. I really don't think it's that unrealistic. You look at what Scotty Scheffler was able to do in 2022. He already played this elite elevated schedule. Like all four of his wins would have come in these Elevated well, events I see what you're on the PGA Tour. He's already playing against the best competition. He had five other top three finishes. Now, they're not all built equally, right? Like, you can backdoor some. Sure. You could have close calls like the Tour Championship. If he just picks a couple of those off, we're looking at, like, one of the best seasons Tiger, that a player has had DJ, in the yeah. past dozen or so years. One thing I think it is, is going to be interesting for Scotty Scheffler in 2023 is he talks a lot about being present and not really setting long-term goals. 2023 is going to be 
a test for that because it's going to be natural to compare his stats, compare his results, certain benchmarks throughout the course of the season of where he is and kind of relating it back to 2022. That's something he's going to have to guard against. Sounds a little familiar to me. Jordan Spieth, 2015, yeah. you know, top of the world, five wins. Could he backed it up with how many? One in 2016. 2016. I mean, I just—that's the thing. I don't think he's going to be able to replicate because of the energy spent in 2022, because of all the times after the round where you're talking to the media, you're doing this, you're doing that. And, and Spieth had two worldwide wins. You want to throw in Australia at the end of 2016, but it's still three less than what he did in 2015. It's—it's it's possible this could be the high water mark for Scotty Scheffler. We don't know at this point. It's looking like it's the high-water mark for Jordan Spieth when you have a year like that. Rory... 2017 was pretty good for Jordan Spieth, wasn't it? It was. Statistically, it was even but, better. But, it was, but the trophies weren't there. The number of trophies. I think with Rory clearly on the... You know, not even on the comeback, he's here. John Rahm finishing the year as strongly as he has with a couple of wins. One in Spain in the DP World Tour Championship. Matthew Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, Cameron Young. You know he's going to break through in 2023. I just think that... To expect him to replicate 2022 in 2023, impossible. I'll say two wins. Which is like, which is like which nothing would be to scoff at. Like a multi-win season is terrific. Yes. Do you think he wins a major championship? Say it again? Do you think he wins a major championship? No, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no in 2023. I, I think Rory's going to win one. I think Rahm's going to win one. I think there'll be some unexpected one as well. I I'm going to say no. I think he'll contend. But I don't think he's – I think, I think we're seeing too much strength coming from the likes of, of Matthew Fitzpatrick this year. It could be Tommy Fleetwood next year or Tyrrell Hatton next year. I think it's very hard. I think your body changes, your expectations change, your, your time isn't your own necessarily. I, I think it would be very, very hard to think he could even come back and win another major championship next year. Not done winning majors necessarily, yeah. but I think maybe done next year. I think the well-roundedness of his game – like you wouldn't necessarily put him – as a perennial Masters favorite, but you could also see him winning the PGA. Yeah. He's such a good driver of the golf ball. You could see yeah. him win the U.S. Open. He flights his ball so well. You could see him winning an Open championship. That's why I think he's going to be able to pick one off. Mm -hmm. Maybe not 2023. Yeah. I think he's he's not done winning major championships. Speaking of the Masters, the high watermark for Scotty Scheffler last season, Augusta National won his first major three shots ahead of Rory McIlroy. Was the only player to break par in all four rounds, finishing at 10 under par. Now, I'm a little in case you missed it because Eureka Earth posted this aerial photo of hole 13 at Augusta National Golf Club. The par five has been extended. There you see the 12th green there and then the tee box for 13 way back in the trees. And Kevin Kistner lives in Aiken, got to play Augusta National. He said, I was totally against it. The changes until I played it. I don't think it's going to be that bad. If you catch it straight into the wind, I'm not sure you can get around the corner, but if it's a par five, you can lay up, and the Bombers can probably get home with a five or six iron. That's the kids. What does Lav think about the changes? I think so. We're, we're kind of guesstimating here, right? We don't have advanced statistics from Augusta National, nothing official from uh, the Master Tournament on what they're going to be doing for 2023. I think if you had a perfect club in there, Kids mentioned a five or six iron. To me, a four iron 
mm. is the perfect club that you want to have for that momentous decision mm. that has been lacking in recent years. That club, that amount of loft off a severe side hill lie, like that's where the magic's going to happen. If you can pull off the shot, great, but you could also have disasters and make a bogey on what was the third easiest holder in the 2022 yeah. tournament. To me, the four iron. If they can somehow I like get in that position, and look, I think you have to give Augusta National the benefit of the doubt. They have a lot more advanced statistics. They, they have a lot do. more data at their disposal to make the right move. And the changes they make always seem to work, and they're trying to keep up with technology and the changing of the game and the clubs and the ball. And I tell you, I spoke to both Gary Player and Trevor Immelman in the last week about Amen Corner in general, but the 13th hole tee shot in particular. They talked about walking off 12 and how important that tee shot is on 13. Gary Player says you're either angry or joyful or exasperated walking off 12. And so that tee shot on 13, you know left is no good because you got the tributary of Ray's Creek. And so you block it out to the right and you got the pine straw. So I think this tee shot remains of desperate importance in the Masters tournament. I think you're seeing some changing dynamics, too, on the second nine. Last yes. year, 15 played much differently. You had plenty more layups mm. into that area, 100 yards, very tight lie, downhill, uh, downhill lie yes. to a very narrow green. So that hole uh, has changed, I, I think, pretty significantly over the past year. Now 13, if you have some more longer irons in there, if you yeah. get that north wind, coming in at you and you're hitting hybrids into that green. Yeah. Ooh, good luck. You want to see players like Sir Nick Faldo, you know, two iron, five wood, lay up, go for it. You want to see the I don't players. want to see eight irons. No, no, no. I don't no. want to see nine irons. You want to see some risk reward on the par 5 13th. Folks, still to come on golf today. It's still too early to be talking about the Ryder Cup, but that didn't stop us or Adrian Moronk, by the way, from mentioning it following his win in Australia over the weekend. Will he be one of the new faces for Team Europe in 2023? We chat next. Back on golf today, this weekend it was Adrian Moronk who cruised to a five-shot win in the Australian Open, fired a final round 66, which included an eagle at the last. Kind of John Rahm going to make eagle at the last time to time. First European to win the Australian Open since Rory did it back in 2013. And like a lot of folks, you can't help but think about the Ryder Cup. Adrian said this, I know Rome is a long way to go, but if I keep playing like that, I think I should still make the team, and that would be a dream come true for me. So how about a way-too-early Ryder Cup chat and take a look at the current European standings. Adrian now with the win, moved up nine spots in the world point list. You'll see three players will be taken from the European points list, then three from the world point list, and then six captain's picks for Luke Donald. So what do you see here? Because people were like crying for for Luke Donald saying like half the team will be playing for live. Yeah, thanks for the disclaimer. This is way too early because you're, you're right. Like nine months is an eternity as we proved, as we've learned as, as we yes. proved this year. But to me, Damon, I think there's like seven locks for this European seven. Ryder Cup okay. team. As long as these guys have a pulse, as long as they're not <laughs> mired in some horrific slump, I'm fully expecting this seven to be on Luke Donald's squad. If they are, that is a very solid core and one that can continue to win on home soil and at yeah. that point if you have that seven locked in then you have more possibilities then Luke Donald can start mixing and matching mm. looking at pairings looking at certain friendships you look at uh, Seamus Power he's number one on the FedEx Cup standings now heading into the break Alex Noren played in yeah. Paris in 2018 now you have Adrian Moronk who's about to crash the top 50 in the world won the Irish Open now won the Australian Open like 
he looks like he's coming at this yeah. point. And so you start putting those pieces together, then you're not really crying mm. about some of those live defectors that you had. Well, the thought was that they'd have no experience. All seven of those players that you posted have played in the Ryder Cup, which is hugely important. When you lose the institutional knowledge, that of Westwood, a Poulter, GMAC, Sergio, Keimer. I mean, you're missing a lot of guys. That's a lot of Stenson, hours. Stenson, Rose. Stenson, I mean, you go on. I mean, it's certainly a transition, right? Absolutely. And I tell you what, that's your early, you know, way too early prediction. How about this? I think Europe's going to win again. I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, that, you know, that, down December, December 6, 2022. We see it all the time. The Americans dominant and party, shotgunning beers on the tee box, but then they get over to Paris or they get over to Glen Eagles, and we know what happens. Golf course gets tight, throats get a little tight, and next thing you know, the Europeans are dancing, and Tommy Fleetwood's doing this strange stretch, and you know, Molinari's on somebody's shoulders, and Thomas Bjorn's getting a tattoo. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the story of the Ryder Cup in Europe for the last. 20-plus years. That's well, longer why, than that, 30 years. And that's why it's so important to have that core because Luke Donald then can look in the summer. There's some guy, there's some, Somebody's going to get hot, whether it's Bobby yeah. McIntyre, whether it's Guido Migliosi. Someone's mm. going to catch fire. He'll, he'll continue that form then into the Ryder Cup. The Golf National was obviously a very um, constricting mm. golf course for the Americans. Marco mm. Simone, it's a little bit uncertain who it's going to, to favor, mm. but... The Americans have all the pressure on them. If you yes. have more rookies uh, on that European side, I don't think necessarily scar tissue or lack yeah. of experience uh, is, all, is all that bad of a thing. I think Luke Donald will have some options for Marco Simone. But what about your gift-giving options for the holidays? Yeah, we have an author and broadcaster, Will Haskett, joining the show next with a new book, Just in Time for Shopping in the Holiday Season. The Science of Golf Explains the Mechanics of the Swing. Now technology has changed the game. Stay tuned for Will after the break. Welcome back to Golf. Today we get closer and closer to the holiday season. We're in the gift-giving mood. So how about a new book, The Science of Golf, written by Will Haskett. It examines the science behind the beloved sport of golf, covering topics like the swing, the body, the mind, the equipment, the agronomy of the course, analytics, and much, much more. Will Haskett, the author of The Science of Golf, the math, technology, and data, joins us now. I've got my copy, fun to read. How'd your love of numbers lead you into writing this book? You know, thanks first of all for having me. Good to see your faces. Happy holidays to both you guys uh, coming up here. You know, it was, I'm approaching my 10th year covering golf on the PGA Tour over on PGA Tour Radio. And I've always tried to look at any sport that I cover in sort of a, a statistical or analytical sort of way. It helps me to kind of connect with the sport and tell broader sort of stories. And I was always fascinated by it. And then when all of a sudden the opportunity came up for me to write a book and I was approached about this very, very broad topic, <laughs> just to say like, what is the science of golf? is a wild sort of topic to sort of wrap your hands around, but I'd already been so interested in studying all of these various scientific components when it came to following the world's best around the fairways that it was just, it was a fun challenge, but also it was a fun culmination of a kind of a learning journey that I've had over the last decade of understanding really in the last 25 years, how rapidly this sport has grown because of our scientific understanding of it. Will, during your writing and reporting for this book, what was the most fascinating revelation to you? You know, Lav, I, I love all the numbers. I love all the data. But one thing that I think separates the top guys in the game of golf right now is their, really their handle of their mind. 
So the psychological stuff that I learned in this book, some of the studies that are in this book about how to balance right brain versus left brain, like literally curing the yips out of individuals is kind of in this book in terms of how we're leveraging the psychological advancements of sports science. And so there's anecdotal reflections on Colin Morikawa and the work that he does with his coach, Rick Sessinghouse. And Phil Mickelson's incredible win at nearly age 51 at the PGA Championship. If you go back and listen to what Phil did that week, it was so much about the process. And what when we hear the word process, how that actually physically manifests itself in the brain and allows these guys to be at their absolute competitive best was without a doubt the most fascinating component of it. Because these days, the, the line is so fine, especially on the PGA Tour, between good and great, and then the actual greats themselves. And it really, in my opinion right now, it comes down a lot to how those guys can compartmentalize and turn the noise off in their head. So the psychological stuff that I learned about, I had no idea how advanced some of that stuff was. Speaking of great Tiger Woods, his golf swing is still probably the most viewed on Twitter and, and Instagram, even in the modern era. What's been his influence on the science of golf? Yeah, I mean, it's it, I, I, where to start. How many segments do you have, right, for Tiger? And the fact that Tiger arrived on the scene at right about the exact time that the sport was really ramping up in terms of technology and the equipment, right? So we had the first titanium drivers. We had the real boom of graphite shafts. And then the ball changes within a couple of years of Tiger Woods becoming a professional. So the advent of the Pro V1 and that technology and what they were able to do in golf ball technology all sort of aligns there. And so it's not just that Tiger Woods changed how we view fitness. That's a huge component of it. It's not how it changes our view of speed, but it's also all of those things coming together at the same time the manufacturing companies were creating new pieces of tech that really changed the way the golf ball flies and the golf club is swung. So it was sort of a perfect storm. And then on top of it, especially at the highest level, with purse increases and all of the money that flowed into the sport post-Tiger, you now see the best players in the world able to invest in all of these components. There's a great quote in the book from Ben Crane, and I asked him what one of the biggest differences is from being a pro now to when he was coming up, and he said it's the investment in teams. These guys have the opportunity to invest money in a team to where there are 10 chapters in my book, and some of the best players in the world have someone on the payroll that almost covers all different, all 10 different elements scientifically in their game. It, Tiger Woods changed all of that because the best players in the world have to look at all of these things to find that you know, tenth of a shot or that one percent edge or however they quantify trying to get from good to great and great to elite. Well, these guys have teams. There's all this data, new science, all this new information. What's the next frontier? What are we looking at in 2030, 2035? Ooh. That's a really good question. I think we're just at the very beginning lab, honestly, of seeing young players that are coming up who have been taught from the day that they were two or three years old in sort of this new model that science has done. So the advent of TrackMan and launch monitors and everything really over the last 15 years or so has a new generation of golf instructors that are teaching, and I'd leave off the book with this, it has to do with, it used to be the ends justified the means. So you look at where the ball went and that justified the swing that you were doing. Well, now we can actually look at it in terms of the means, what the actual data is on the golf ball taking off to justify whatever the swing looks like. I feel as if we're just at the cusp of even new sort of artistry of how guys get it done. Um, I just spent you know a few days with Patrick Welch, who's a great player at Oklahoma. He actually swings cross-handed. 
And he's been doing it since he was two, three years old. If he had done that 30, 40 years ago, I was, I was chatting with about it. I don't think there's a coach that allows him to get to the level that he is being an All-American in Oklahoma. But because we have all of this technology to validate what his swing does, I think we actually are just at the beginning of seeing a younger generation of golfers who are going to go about it in many different ways as long as they're hitting all of their optimal targets that we're measuring. So I feel like, to answer your question, in, 30, in 20 years or 10 years from right now, we may actually see golf look a little bit different than the very traditional perfect golf swing that a lot of guys have been achieving for over the last quarter century. Oh, I'll still be making double bogeys 10 years from now. I was going to say, your swing is certainly... <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yep. No doubt. Hey, writing a book is, is a huge undertaking, especially with kids. Congratulations, Will, on the science of Thanks. golf. Happy holidays. We'll speak to you down the road. Thanks, guys. No book in my future. I'm just broadcasting <laughs> golf next year. That was enough. I One don't and done. You. One and done. Take a couple <laughs> Thanks, years guys. off.